If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out GuardianVets.com now. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Why do most banks always seem to be impersonal, slow to answer questions, or give you the runaround on getting money needed for your dreams? Enter Panacea Financial. Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Whether you're a veterinarian in training, practice owner, or aspire to be one, someday, Panacea Financial is designed specifically for you. It was started by two doctors who were frustrated in working with banks and so started their own to serve their community. With common sense lending guidelines and fast decisioning, they have helped doctors all across the country start, grow, and acquire their dream practice. Looking to buy into a practice, Panacea helps doctors with practice buy-in loans that are funded in a matter of days, not weeks or months. If you're ready to join the thousands of doctors nationwide who have declared independence from traditional banks, visit PanaceaFinancial.com today to see how they can get you started with your dreams. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful? There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth generation family run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process. They help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with offer first. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. 
you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay, so link in the show notes is going to take you to offer first. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to offer first directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. All right. Today, I'm joined by Kayla Donovan, who is the founder of Transformation Group Business Advisory. And what Kayla does is she helps veterinary practice owners have successful sales of their practice to a corporate buyer. Kayla's worked for a large acquirer of veterinary practices prior to this and has worked within kind of veterinary medicine for right at or right about a decade. It's coming up on that. And with that, I'm really excited because we're going to be able to chat through a couple different things when it comes to practice ownership transitions, valuation, just information that I think will be really helpful for practice owners. And so with that, Kayla, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be on. Yeah. And so one of the cool things about trying to incorporate more video into content, and this was really, really exciting for me, is you have some good visuals and some good things that you want to be able to share. And so for those, if you're listening to it as you work, as you do dishes, as you're driving, I know that's when I'm a lot of times listening. You might want to actually like go over to YouTube. A, this is my easy way to try to get more people to subscribe to YouTube, right? So I get that custom vanity URL, right? It's at 100. I think I'm at right at 20 right now. But please go over to YouTube. I think there's going to be good stuff there. And so we'll try to talk to it if you only listen to the episode. But there's going to be some good visuals as we go through. But with that, Kayla, I think the natural place to start is you started your business about a year ago. Starting a business is hard. Everyone knows that, whether it's vet med, whether it's helping practice owner sell, whether it's the coffee shop at the corner of the street, right? Why start something new versus, you know, there's existing other folks out there. Like, why do that? Why put yourself through all that stress and headache of doing your own thing versus, you know, going in and finding someone else to work with? That's a great opening question. And sometimes I have to, to your point, starting a business is very hard. I feel like it's gotten easier over the past year gets easier as time goes on. But sometimes I kind of have to bring myself back to some days are better than others. And on some of those tougher days, you know, I kind of got to bring myself back to that. Why? And why did I start this in the first place? So always wanted to start my own business, always kind of had an entrepreneur attitude, I guess you could say about everything that I've always done. And I just never really knew what it was, like, what was truly my calling? What was something that I was going to be able to start from scratch that I could truly feel like I could bring my gifts to other people and truly service other people. It was in my previous role that I was at before where I was actually, I worked for a company that acquired veterinary hospitals and I kind of led their team and buying hospitals for them and managing the whole process, working with the sellers and then the brokers, you know, all the different advisors that they had. 
And I really just felt that there could have been a better solution, that there was somebody that could have, you know, really, really listened to what they were looking for. Money is very important, but in the end, it's not all about money, especially now when these deals are becoming more and more complex. And a lot of them are going to be a little bit more long term where they're going to have to stay and be a part of this corporation for a long period of time. So finding the right fit was really important and really making sure that the seller's goals were truly aligned with the buyers. And I just felt like from the different process that I had worked previously, that there was an opportunity for someone to do better and really do the right thing by your client and really having their goals being at the forefront of everything that you do. So that's kind of what led me to this and wanting to start this on my own because I truly felt that what I could put together would really benefit a lot of people who are in that position where they're getting ready to sell their practice. So yeah, that's kind of what keeps me going when I think back to, you know, when I have those days where I'm like, why did I start this? Like, this is really hard. And it's definitely one of those things that you have to have a lot of grit for, and you can't give up even when it is hard because it takes a lot of time and patience. And I'm not exactly a very patient person, I would say, when it comes to things like that. I'd say I'm very patient with other people. But as far as with myself and how my business is growing and my goals and the things that I want to do, I lack in that aspect a little bit. So always working on just trying to really trust the process and just knowing that you put in the work, it's going to work out and always make sure that you do the right thing. That's kind of the forefront of everything that I do and truly having the best interests of others along the way and truly wanting to help people, even if it means that there may not be anything in there in it for you, but that's the way that I am and the way I do business. Yeah. And it's easy to be patient with others. And then you put so much pressure on yourself to perform or do this. And you're like, in your mind, it's funny because so many times when you start a business or let's say for a veterinary practice owner and they're going to buy a practice, like, Hey, what's your business plan? And you make all these projections. And some of them are just like kind of wild ass guesses because we're like, Hey, we think we can do this, right? Like I have confidence in me. That's why I'm here, right? You have to be kind of your biggest cheerleader in that regard to have confidence in doing it or have a really good family foundation of people around you to encourage you. Because yeah, there are going to be days where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm crushing it. This is amazing. And there's other days where it's like, man, this week has just been the longest month of my life. And like, why can nothing work? Yes. Um, so kudos there. And I think the other thing that is definitely correlated, even within veterinary medicine for associates that are listening, is like, hey, you can go and do your own thing and you don't have a guarantee that you're not going to fail. Right. But you're going to learn a ton of stuff. And regardless of the outcome, you'll be better because of it. And I think the same thing for, for you as well. It's like you go through, it's like getting through first year, right? Because people will always ask, well, how long have you been in business? Well, I just started last week. You know, it's like, okay, once it's like, hey, I've been doing this for a while, or you can lean on some of the other history and your knowledge, right? Of, of being in vet med for a while is really cool. But you talked about brokers. I love the term advisory that you have for your business name because I think there's a big difference, right? I'm here for a transaction and I'm here to give you advice and guidance to make this a smooth process. Same thing for me. If I walk into a veterinary clinic, how do I know a doctor is really good at their job? I don't know. Like my dog goes in, has an issue, comes out, things are better. <laughs> That's all I know. And so for a lot of veterinarians, they go through a transaction and unless something really blows up, you probably don't really know if the person that you worked with is good. How would you answer that question if someone says, how do I know if someone's good at their job, if they're helping me with a practice sale? It's a really yeah. easy question to ask, hard one to answer, but that's what I do. I just ask hard questions. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good one. You know, word of mouth is really important, but then to your point, everyone's got to start somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm lucky enough that I've had 
a kind of a couple clients now and people who have taken a chance on me not having, I have a track record, right? I've done this before, but in a different facet. I'm not one of these brokers who's been around, you know, doing this for a million years. But I think there also comes with a new, fresh perspective to that. Like I remember I actually met with a client, this is a couple of weeks ago, and a new client who ended up signing on with me. And she was like, I have to say, I'm really impressed by you. It's kind of a catch-22, right? Because my company hasn't been around for very long. Obviously, I'm just coming up on a year, like you had mentioned. So she's like, you know, you haven't been around that long. But at the same time, since you haven't been around that long, I know you're going to work your ass off for me because you're not going to want to screw this up. So that kind of outweighs that risk a little bit more because you're paying a lot for this service and you really want to make sure that whoever you're partnering with is going to be doing the work. They're truly going to be giving you that value that you're paying for. And I think a lot of that comes down to too is really vetting these people that you're looking at to hire for this service, right? Really looking at, yes, referrals, word of mouth, track record is important. But I think what's even maybe even more important is what are they doing for you? Like looking at all the work that they're going to do up front, do they have an actual plan for you? Or are they just going to say, yeah, we're going to do the valuation, then we're going to bring your hospital to market? How do they do their valuations? What are the different things that they look for? What is their process like? Who are they connected with? I think things like that are really, really important. And the one question that I always ask, you know, that I tell people as you're looking for a broker or an advisor, I think the biggest question is ask them what kind of work they do up front. So once you sign that engagement letter, what are the things that they're getting right down to business doing? And like, what does their work look like? So I think also, can they give you an example of what they've done for other people? Obviously not having specific numbers or clinic names, like all that's very confidential, but do they have something that they can show you just so you know exactly what to expect? Because again, you're signing an engagement letter, you're signing like a legal document where they're going to sell your practice and you just want to make sure that you're making the right decision and they're going to be doing what it takes to really make sure that they're getting, whether it's best price, best fit, all those different things that are going to be important for you and your goals. I love it. I was going to ask you your favorite question to encourage people to ask, but you kind of hit on it there, which is what is the work they're doing up front, which I think is a good one. It's hard to know what you don't know. And so you want a good question that if someone is a professional in that space, what would they be asking? How would they do kind of their due diligence. And I think that's a great question, which leads us into what I think is going to be kind of the meat of the conversation and would love to get into some of the stuff that you have around valuation. Because I think this nebulous idea of like, well, valuations and well, multiples are here and this and that, like, how do you as a practice owner start to think about it of what is true and real of where am I at today, but also what could I be doing to improve upon and so with that, if you want, I would love to kind of chat through some of the stuff that you have put together and we'll go through it. But I think for a lot of practice owners, again, you only go through it once where for you, you've gone through it many times and you've seen a lot of things. You've had a lot of these conversations and you can yeah. know kind of where the potholes are to, to stay away from. Absolutely. And again, for those just listening on audio, I will do my best and Kayla as well. We'll do our best to kind of talk through some of the visuals that way. You're not completely lost. We're like, hey, see here. And you're like, hmm, I can't see because I'm listening uh, on audio only. But yeah, so I'll let you take it from here. We're going to talk a little bit about you know valuation and a demo from there, which is great. Awesome. Excellent. We'll get right into it then. So 
I kind of just go over what my principles are and I kind of hit on this, but again, it's more, what can you expect from working with somebody like me? Everyone's going to be a little bit different in this area, but these are kind of like, I guess, the key principles that I pride myself on and what you can expect when you hire me. So I'll be with you every step of the way with consistent communication and frequent updates. Communication is super, super important in this entire process from start to finish. So you want to make sure whoever you're working with is going to have really good communication with you. Not everyone you know, wants to be on texting relationships with their clients, but I will text, call, email. You know, I just think it's really important to have that constant communication because things are frequently changing and it's important that both of us stay in the know. So I need to know everything that's going on with you and you need to know what's like everything's going on with me on my side of the deal. So that's going to be super important. Also an organized systematic process, and we're going to start with the in-depth analysis to fully understand your business and your goals, which is ultimately going to result in a lot less stress for you, which is what a lot of people are looking for when they do hire me, because this process can be very stressful. It can be super overwhelming, and it's really important that you have someone that is going to be super organized and can lay it all out for you. And does a really good job of really getting down to the nitty gritty of what your goals are. So knows exactly what you're looking for, because if they're going to be going out and, you know, soliciting offers that might not be aligned with exactly what you want, even though they might be getting the best price for your practice, there's still going to be a lot of factors that are going to be important to you to make sure that you know exactly what you're getting and they know exactly what to get for you. So again, really important part there is to really understand your goals and then also your business from inside out. So whoever you choose needs to know the ins and outs of your financials because the better that they understand that, the better they're going to be equipped to promote your hospital and market your hospital in the best way possible. So this is a sophisticated financial model and marketing package, which is also known as a SIM, that we'll put together. This is basically so all buyers are bidding off the same numbers. So again, it's going to be a deep dive into all your financials and really going to make things consistent across all offers. And then also there's the negotiation part. So a lot of clients I talk to negotiating isn't their favorite thing to do. So it's nice to have somebody that's going to take over that for you and really focus on taking the brunt of those negotiations and also knowing what you can and cannot negotiate. There are some parts of the deal that are truly not going to be super negotiable. Almost everything is, but there are things that are a lot less likely to be negotiated. And those are things that can delay a deal. And I think it's really important that you have somebody who understands what those things are that can or can't be negotiated. And then also like how we can negotiate those things. And again, all keeping in mind what your goals are and what you've envisioned for you and your practice. So with that being said, you know, I'll kind of walk you through just some questions about as I help people think through the whole thought process of should I sell? Because obviously the answer to this question is critical to move forward. So market conditions is one thing to consider. So I'm sure a lot of you have heard that the veterinary market is super lucrative right now and it's continuing to level out a little bit. So offers may not ever be this high again. So maybe if you're still pretty early in your career, but you know you want to take advantage of how good the market is right now, that's something to consider. Considering the health of your business is another huge factor. So a lot of clients think that 
well, my business is doing really well. It's performing better than ever. Why would I sell now? That's actually the best time to put your practice on the market, if ever, because especially now with the environment being, it's just a lot more competitive than it used to be. And there's a lot more scrutiny coming from the buyers just from how the market has changed historically. So I always recommend, and a lot of other people will recommend this too, is that if your business is doing well, that's the best time to sell. You do not want to sell your practice when things are starting to decline or go downhill or you're losing staff and you're losing doctors and now you're feeling burnt out. That's really going to put you between a rock and a hard place. Staffing challenges, to kind of hit on that note, that's kind of everywhere for everybody right now. And, you know, a lot of practice owners just want to come in and practice medicine and they want to go home and spend more time with their family. They don't want to do the operational things within the clinic. They don't want to worry about how they're finding their doctors and how they're finding staff. That in itself is really hard. And a lot of these corporate operating groups can really offer a lot of support in that aspect. So they have entire teams who are dedicated to recruiting support staff and associate veterinarians where they're going into vet schools. They're heavily recruiting through all different social media platforms, through the internet, they're going to conferences. You know, they're doing all these things that you might not necessarily have the resources or time to do, which will help you get that help and help reduce that burnout for you. Also, I think corporations have historically had a little bit of a stigma about them. People historically were like, oh, I'm not selling to corporate. They're going to come in and change the way I practice medicine. They're going to tell me I have to carry this product and they're horrible and they come in and destroy hospitals. That's absolutely not the case anymore. Their strategies have changed a lot and they really, really want to focus on maintaining and growing their talent. So that's a huge factor too. And it's also factoring into the current market conditions. You know, a lot of people are asking me, why are the multiples changing so fast? One reason is because of the initial land grab that we had two years ago, where all these groups kind of emerged because their investors saw, wow, veterinary hospitals are doing really well after COVID. Everyone went out and bought cats and dogs and they should be easy to grow, right? If you think about it, you know, you just come in and you have these contracts where you can get products for cheaper, your lab agreements cheaper. Organically, it should be really easy to grow, right? So they went around and they overpaid tremendously for all these hospitals. I mean, it was like the Wild West out there two years ago where like multiples were like absolutely outrageous, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But I think they all got a little burnt these groups that were way overpaying for hospitals just to be competitive and just grab as many hospitals as they could. And then once they had them, I think a lot of them, A, had a hard time operating them because they weren't truly hospital operators. And B, the biggest problem is, and as everybody knows, the shortage of veterinarians. So I think it was a lot harder to grow. And the biggest way that you can organically grow a vet practice is by adding additional veterinarian. So yeah, you can increase prices, you can do different things to the bottom line, like cost of goods sold, sold, things like that. But really the fastest and most organic way that's going to grow the practice is by adding additional doctors. So obviously that's a lot harder. It's easier for these corporate groups, but it's still a challenge. So that's also kind of changing the way the market is. So again, something to consider, take advantage of the market while it's good, because I think by the end of this year, it's going to continue to look tremendously different. And then also consider your lifestyle goals as well. So 
you know, I kind of hit on this already, but maybe you want paid vacations and you don't want to have to worry about, you know, if you, if you're taking off and your associates off that day, you have to close the practice. Like you have somebody else that's going to like worry about that for you, which is great. And also better life work-life balance. I know as a business owner, and I mean, I'm not a veterinary practice owner, but just having a business in general is a lot of work and definitely eats into that work-life balance a little bit. So if you're looking for that lifestyle where you want to just be able to go into work, practice medicine, and then go home and spend more time with your family, you know, another important thing to consider. Also financial security. So these deal structures are becoming much more creative, which I'll touch on in a little bit. That's really going to give you some nice long-term financial security that can be really lucrative over time. And, you know, in each of these, I'll kind of say again, kind of all ties back to consider the current market conditions because that's going to be one of the biggest drivers, I think. It is one of the biggest drivers for most of my clients right now, I would say. And then this is an important point too. So also consider where you are in your career stage. So I know I had mentioned that a lot of my clients are not near retirement age at all. They're looking at this more of a long term and they're kind of looking to sell for other reasons or they're looking to get out in like maybe five or six years and do something else. So it's really important that you consider what your career stage is and your timeline here because I can't tell you how many people have called me and been like, I want to retire yesterday and I need to sell my practice now. And I'm only a one doctor practice. You're going to be in a really tough situation there because number one reason is a lot of these groups depend now, it depends on how many full-time veterinarians you have, but the less amount of associates you have, the longer you're going to be required to stay with that practice through a transition. So I think typically if you're a two doctor practice, like you're looking at maybe a two to three year stay, and that's kind of really going to affect the amount of value that you're getting for your practice. So no one's going to hold your feet to the fire. Like if you want to get out in, in a year, you could, but you're going to leave some significant, significant money on the table for your practice because it's just too high risk for that buyer. Because if you take off in a year and you know it might take them a year to find you an associate, they're going to be in a really rough spot. So again, like I keep telling this to all my clients, like, please just consider what your timeline is. And the earlier you start talking to somebody like me, at least so you can map that out and figure out where you need to be, the better. And then also it's really that post-sale work timeline is really the biggest thing to consider. And again, you don't need to be retiring. You can be younger in your career and you could want to stay with the practice for 10, 15 years. You could be like, you know, just in... You might want to just stay with that practice, but maybe you want to work your way up through the corporation or just have that better work-life balance and maybe have equity or whatever that looks like. You're a partner doctor or whatever to really kind of have a different level of financial security throughout the years. So that's kind of obviously the starting point of where everybody wants to start. And then I'll touch a little bit about the EBITDA multiples and offers because everybody wants to talk about this too, rightfully so. So this is kind of what I was allude how I was alluding to before about just how the multiples have changed so significantly. So, you know, back in 2021, just to give you an example, a hospital that had about like 500K in EBITDA may have received a 15 times multiple, which is crazy in the world of business. Like, I mean, that's a high EBITDA, but at the same time, like in a normal business world, like that's usually maybe like nine to 10 times. So 15 times is very high, but that's just what the market was. So that would kind of equate to $7.5 million. 
And now today, looking at how the market has trended, it would be more about like the 6.5 million if they were at that 500K in EBITDA. So we're projecting to 4 million by end of the year is kind of what we're looking at the way things are projecting. So again, really important as you're starting to make the decision, do I start talking to an advisor or a broker about you know, if this is something I should consider, maybe I get evaluation my practice, just start to see where I'm at, what it's worth right now, because, you know, the market can have heavily influence your decision. And everyone will tell you this, it's never going to get back for the people that are like, well, I'm just going to wait, you know, maybe when the economy gets better, it'll, it'll go back up. It could go up a tiny bit, but it's never going to be back to what it was in 2021. I mean, that was kind of an anomaly, and it's never going to go back to that. So I would just, you know, don't expect that anytime in the near future <laughs> or ever, in fact. So checklists for getting ready. So everyone kind of requires something a little bit different. These are the things that I will need to get started. And again, this is just like an overview of what my whole process looks like. So I do think it's important to just touch on a couple things that you'll need because usually if you've never sold a business before, you don't really know what to even start with. So when I put together your financial model, I'm going to need some, you know, a bunch of financials. So P&Ls, payroll reports, production, any non-reoccurring expenses. Um, get most of this stuff from QuickBooks, you know, depending on what you use. But that's super easy. I can walk you through how to pull the reports for me or I can you can actually give me access and I can pull them for you. So I try to make it as easy as possible for you because I know, you know, you got a practice to run as well. And the last thing you want to do is be sitting and pulling reports all day long. And then the next important, so that's really as far as like the nitty gritty stuff that we're going to need as far as the paper trail of things. Also any information on your real estate. So whether you own or rent, you know, lease considerations or sale considerations. And, you know, I'll touch a little bit on upon this as well. And whether you want to, maybe you own the real estate, and you want to keep it and, you know, charge the buyer rent, own it, and then you want to sell it. And you're kind of evaluating what your options are. Probably one of the most important things you're going to need to consider is your team as you get this process started. So obviously the choice to hire an advisor or a broker, which I highly recommend, you're just going to get a higher price point. And I think the way to think about this is, and again, it's not for malicious, they're a business, but all these corporations, their whole goal is to buy low and sell high. So they want to buy your practice for the lowest price that they can get it for and then resell it to new investors, you know, the entire platform at a much higher multiple. Or they're going to look at everything to try to squeeze that price as tight as they can get it. But when you have somebody like me that's on your side, that's really going to be able to be like, hey, no, the numbers are these. There's really no second guessing here. And as well as the negotiations and creating a competitive process, all these things are going to drive the price up. Just to give you an example, I mean, when I worked at my old company, we were actually more heavily incentivized to find hospitals that did not work with a broker because they knew they were going to have to pay more for the hospitals that use a broker. Again, it's not malicious. It's just business. So it's good to have someone like me. You don't even have to worry about that. Probably the most important part is your attorney that you're going to have on your team, your M&A lawyer. I cannot stress enough how important it is that you choose a lawyer that has M&A experience and specifically experience doing these veterinary deals. I cannot tell you how many times I've had deals completely die, have gone completely haywire and just have been a total nightmare because they had the wrong attorney. So really, really important that you pick 
somebody that has this experience. If you are working with an advisor or broker, they should have a couple people that they've worked with historically who they know will do a really good job and are affordable. So again, like if you pick an advisor, I highly recommend you ask them for who they recommend as for your attorney. Don't just use family friend or to try to cut corners on price because I promise it, it's not worth it in the long run. If anything, if you're going to end up spending more money and wasting a lot more time and potentially killing the whole deal. And that's really it as far as the checklist of stuff getting ready. There are some operations things to think about. But again, like, are you have you been thinking about any cosmetic upgrades? What staff do you need when you go for the sale? But these are all things that we more or less just talk about once we get you up and running. But really, the only things that I need are going to be the financial stuff to really get started on your financial model and your valuation. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course. That's what makes veterinarian special. You're mission-driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable, online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. Yeah, and I can't stress enough on the attorney piece. And there's been some good folks that have been on the podcast. There will be more good folks that are be on the podcast that, yes, they need to understand the world. And going back to one of the things you talked about earlier was the non-negotiables, right? And there's gonna be certain things that they can know as well, like working with XYZ group, they're willing to budge on this. And I know for sure that they're not gonna budge on this other thing. So there's no point paying someone to try to argue or go back and forth from an attorney fee on an item that's never going to move. So I think that's really, really valuable as well. But those are great points. Yeah, no, I'm really glad that you mentioned that. That's a huge, huge point. And in fact, just to give you another, I did have a client, wonderful, wonderful client. They are like the best people ever. I, I adore them. But they wanted to use this attorney who they thought had had experience doing this. I had never heard of him before, which was a little because I've worked with pretty much most of the big ones just throughout the deals that I'd done even at my previous company. But they hired him. I had like kind of a weird feeling that I hadn't heard about him and they had to pay him. He took forever to do the deal documents. He wasn't responsive. And then he didn't even do the appropriate red lines that we needed to do to the point where they kind of more or less had to fire him and hire a new attorney. Yeah. So they had to spend money on someone that really didn't like, and then the, the new attorney obviously had to go through everything again. Yeah. So you don't want that to happen to you. So again, just start it out right. Really, really do your research to find an attorney who knows what they're doing in this space. It's super, super important. So I'm glad that you touched on that too. So just a little bit about what the process is going to look like, because this is obviously a big question too. You know, how does this all lay out and what's it going to look like from start to finish? 
So typically I'll usually do a little demonstration, pretty much what I'm doing now. This is what I use to kind of show again, like the really important question is what's the work, what can I expect from you and what's the work you're going to do up front? So this is my example. So I'll kind of run through this with clients and then if they decide, okay, yeah, I want to use your service, we'll sign an engagement letter and then I will start putting together the financial model. So I'll walk you through exactly what that looks like. But after that, we'll start to meet with buyers once we put together the model. And I'll also put together a marketing deck that'll go out to the list of buyers. I'll put together the list of buyers for you and then I'll send it to you and we'll kind of talk about, you know, I know this group, I've heard bad things about them. You know, usually I only work with groups that have a really good reputation, but you never know. So obviously the buyer list will be approved by you and we'll kind of go through that and then I'll send all this information out to them. I clean it up, make it look nice and really market your practice in the best light. And then once we start to get, and you'll also meet with these buyers. So once, you know, they, they show interest and you know, you'll start to, I'll set up a Zoom calls with the buyer. So the sellers will be able to ask them questions and really learn the ins and outs of, you know, their culture and their teams and things like that and what their process looks like. And then also they'll probably come in and see the hospital as well. So they'll set up a meeting. They'll usually take the sellers out to dinner and, and, you know, tour the hospital and just get a feel for what the location looks like. So then we'll start to solicit LOIs. And for those of you that don't know, an LOI is a letter of intent. So it's basically an outline of what the deal is going to look like and just kind of gives like the high level points of, you know, the purchase price, the deal structure. Usually they have the lease terms, real estate terms in there. There's some employment stuff in there too. But again, it's high level and it's kind of like the, you know, once that's signed, the biggest thing is you'll go into an exclusivity with that particular buyer. So, you know, at that point, you'll only be dealing with them. You can't talk to anybody else at that point. So you want to make sure that it's right. And this is also a big piece of negotiating. So this is where we kind of negotiate the purchase price, your employment terms, rent, all those kind of nitty gritty, the deal structure, stuff like that will all be negotiated and, and the LOI. So once we pick the right one, we'll kind of review them all, do the negotiations, and then we'll pick the right one and we'll move forward with that particular buyer. So that's kind of what the starting process looks like. And then of course, there's the diligence process, which typically you know, if you asked me a year ago, I would have told you typically like 60 to 90 days. I'd say it's definitely more along the side, the lines of the 90 day standpoint from signing the LOI to close, if not a little bit longer, just because these buyers are just scrutinizing everything a little bit more. They want to really make sure that they're doing their due diligence on their end, quality of earnings and really fact checking and looking under the hood for everything, you know, in the practice to just make sure that it's truly worth their investment and they're making the right choice to add you to their team. So just something to keep in mind, you know, as we kind of go through the process there. So here's an example of what it looks like when I'll break down, you know, all your numbers. So the main things we're going to look at here is what your revenue looks like. Is it growing? What are the trends here? And then we'll also look at the different areas of your revenue. So what percentage of revenue is your cost of goods sold? What percentage of your revenue is labor? I'm kind of just talk a little bit about this. I do see very commonly, just more recently, a lot of clients, their cost of goods is very high. Of all things to have as a percentage of revenue, of all things to have high, that's usually the best. And this is like an example of, you know, what I'll do with your numbers to truly adjust that out. 
And I think one of the biggest things that makes me different too is I've actually worked for a buyer. So I know exactly what they're going to look at. I know exactly what they're going to adjust for. I know the different synergies that they can adjust for. So I can really call out certain things to really get your number to be in the best light there. And again, like this isn't fudging or doing some like inflated EBITDA like some other brokers would do. Like all of it makes sense and it's all laid out for them so they can see exactly where I got my numbers from. So again, like the adjustments are going to be really important. They're usually just like, you know, synergistic adjustments. And then like I had mentioned before, like, let's say if your cost of goods are too high, I'll adjust that out. So I'll have like originally what it is originally. And then I'll have another adjusted EBITDA making those cost of goods adjustment to kind of normalize that out just to show the buyer what that would look like. Because usually the cost of goods sold is something that can be easily resolved once acquisition hits. So it's usually a very easy thing for them to fix because once they come in, they'll have better pricing on products, whether it's, you know, maybe your lab contract is like astronomical and, you know, they've been able to negotiate. They're a bigger platform, so they can negotiate better deals with like IDEX and Antec and stuff like that. So usually that's like a really quick hit to the bottom line. So that's something that could easily be adjusted. Labor can be a little bit of a trickier one just because what these groups don't want to do is they don't, they want to maintain your team. Like that's usually the forefront of like the most important thing that they want to do. And so the last thing they're not going to come in and fire people or cut their pay or anything like that. That's a huge no-no. So usually the best way to offset that is hiring another doctor or utilizing your support staff a little bit better. So that's stuff that we can talk about too, just to kind of figure out, you know, a game plan for that. I also want to mention too, that you can have all this done because I told you the sooner the better. You can do this even if you have no desire to sell like in the next five years. So I do just valuations. If you don't want to sign an engagement letter, you're welcome to, and I'll kind of go through my pricing too, or if you have questions, you know, I'm happy, happy to help. But I can do just this. So even if you just want to get like a picture of what your practice looks like, and you know, maybe you don't want to sell for five, 10 years, but you're like, let me just get a picture of, you know, where all my revenue is going and different things that I can do to start to prep that for sale. How do I get my labor down? How do I get my cost of goods, you know, more normalized, things like that. Because a lot of times people don't know, they don't know what to look for and they don't know what percentage of revenue those, all those different things should be. And then there's also the pro forma piece. So it's not in this example, but like it's just an example of different things that we can do with the adjustment. So let's say you, you know, start the sale process and let's say you you have a fifth doctor that joined your practice and they just started to produce. So you want to get credit for that doctor, especially because they're a producing doctor. So we can pro forma that out, which basically means we're mapping that out to show based on what her production was the previous month, we can kind of map that out to show what it would look like with another year of her production. So that's also going to be an adjustment to show higher growth of revenue. And it's just going to paint your practice in a different picture. And a lot of other brokers won't necessarily think to do that. But you know, it's an important piece. And again, like you want to get credit for stuff like that, because the buyer's if you don't have somebody that's looking out for that, they're not going to account that because again, they don't want to account any more money into that. They want to get it for as low as they can. So it's important to know all the different things that you can adjust for to really get the best value for your practice. 
So this is just an evaluation and a proceeds example. So once I'll walk you through all your financials and we'll kind of go through the adjustments. So that's where we get your adjusted EBITDA. Again, it's a little bit different than just what your EBITDA is. This is an adjusted EBITDA based on the adjustments that a buyer would make. So I'll take a multiple based on, you know, your hospital, like historical growth, expansion opportunities, location. And the biggest thing everyone always asks, like, how can I get a bigger multiple? It's really going to be full-time doctors. That's the key. That's the key. That's what everybody wants. Doctors are the hardest thing to find right now. So if you have more doctors, the full-time doctors, that's going to immediately increase that multiple for you. Even if your revenue might be a little bit low, but if you have the heads, that's going to be the most important thing. So as far as multiples go, I'll lay out, you know, a base case scenario for you, which is kind of more just a little bit more on the conservative side of what I think you get for your practice. And then upside scenario, of course, what we'll try to get for your practice. But again, just to give you an idea of what that looks like, so you can have really truthfully realistic expectations of what you're going to get when you go to market. So again, if you're going to make this decision, I can't guarantee anything. No one can. You're never going to know exactly what you're going to get for your practice until you put it on the market. But it will at least give you an idea so you can kind of evaluate and see, is this looking like what I'm looking to get? Yes, this is a good time for me to put it on the market versus if I wait a year, that nine times multiple might look like a six times multiple. So you kind of got to evaluate that and you know, yeah, you might be able to grow. Oh, well, I want to wait a year and see if I can get a doctor. Well, what is the likelihood of you being able to find a, a doctor, right? Probably it's really hard right now. And you got to compete with the sign-on bonuses from all the different corporations where they're offering these crazy sign-on bonuses and benefits and all these different things. So you're competing with that too. And then it's like, okay, even if you did, yeah, that might increase your multiple a little bit. But like, again, it's going to drop. So yeah, it might be a seven times and like maybe your EBITDA is a little bit bigger, but it's a much smaller multiple. So it's not really going to make that big of a difference. So you kind of got to outweigh. Those are things that we have to talk about just to make sure, are you putting your practice on the market where it makes most sense for you? And then I kind of lay everything out for you too, versus showing you what your gross value is going to be, the different fees, legal fees, staff bonuses, different things like that to really be able to lay out what your potential gross cash proceeds are. So we'll also talk a little bit about deal structures. This is a really important point too, because I think the deal structures are getting much more complex and layered than they ever have been historically in the past. So there's always the all cash offer. That's pretty self-explanatory where you get all the cash at close and then you're on your merry way, whether, you know, maybe you have to stay on for a year, but you get all that cash at close. So Typically, if that's the case, I'd say those are more few and far between now. It's hard to find an all cash offer because it's going to be the most risk for the buyer. And then you also have to consider that you're probably not going to get the best value with that deal structure as well. Again, because it's much more higher risk for them. So they're not going to want to give you a ton of money because if you you leave or something happens, there's nothing kind of guaranteeing that that investment's going to pay off. So that's kind of where the different structures come in. So, and a lot of times also keep in mind that there's rarely a deal where it's just one deal structure, where it's just like, oh, just an all cash offer or it's, you know, all earn out. I mean, the deals I've done historically have usually had 
all cash earn out subordinate note and equity all rolled into one. So it's really important that you understand these things. And if you're working with somebody who can really talk you through what that means for you, what the likelihood of you getting that earn out is going to be, how that's going to pan out for you, how it aligns with your goals and what exactly that looks like for you, because it can get very confusing. So an earnout is a multi-year earnout, which is usually based upon growth, which enables sellers to earn additional proceeds over time. So it's, again, based on growth. So as your hospital grows, and it's usually paid out for over, I mean, it can kind of vary, but I usually see it maybe paid out in like maybe a year, year and a half, two years. I've heard some where they do seven years, which I probably wouldn't recommend an earnout that that's long. But again, based on what you're looking for. So, you know, again, it's going to depend on, you know, the growth of your hospital. And usually what the parameters are is that you have to at least maintain your revenue to get that earn out. So like, let's say like the full purchase price is $5 million. That's what the full purchase price is, but you're getting 2 million upfront and then you're getting, you know, 1 million and like it comes out over time usually you'll hit that purchase price if you just maintain your revenue. But if you grow it, you'll actually have, you know, an upside note where you'll be able to earn a little bit more money throughout that. So every time you get those payouts, it'll be a little bit higher. Again, that's all kind of thrown out in the LOI. And I can walk you through exactly what that looks like and what that means for you. But, you know, keep in mind, as the longer the earnout goes, Anything can happen, especially if you're, you know, a two, three doctor practice. And if you're signing up for a five, six, seven year earnout, and all of a sudden your associate two years later decides to leave, you're not going to be able to hit that earnout. And if you don't hit that earnout, and if you don't maintain revenue and your revenue starts to drop, you're not going to get that money. So what you thought was going to be five million when you sign the LOI, you might only actually get two million for your practice. So again, really important things to think about. A subordinated note is basically when buyers will pay a portion of the sale over time in increments while the practice owner seller collects interest. So again, that's another negotiating point is negotiating the interest that's paid on the subordinated note. So the buyer may want it to be a little bit lower, but it's important to have someone on your side that can tell you, you know, what you can get for that subordinated note because that interest will add up over time. Equity is a huge one that's becoming more and more popular. So this is where a portion of the proceeds is rolled into the equity of the parent company in which the owner will collect the proceeds when there's a liquidity event. So what I mean by liquidity event is, so let's say a corporation, you know, you sell your hospital to a corporation and then now this corporation is backed by, you know, usually they have some type of financial backing, whether it's like an investment bank or, you know, whatever private equity whoever that is that's backing them. So as they grow, eventually they're going to grow out of that group and they're going to sell to another group. Again, typically nothing changes. Sometimes they buy each other, you know, the different groups, they'll kind of merge together, but typically there's not a ton of changes. It's just really just their financial backing that's changing. So when that happens, that's called a liquidity event. So that's when you're going to have the opportunity to cash out on your equity and make money on that. And again, you're making money on the entire on the equity on the entire platform versus the equity of your hospital. So again, it's really important that you work with somebody who understands how this works and they'll be able to map out what that equity is going to look like for you. And it's important for them to also have a pulse on the environment of all these buyers and what they're doing. 
when's the last time they recapped, which is basically they had they recapitalized to a different financial backing, a liquidity event. So, you know, knowing when they last did that or when they're projected to do that, like that's all important because that's going to tell you when you're going to be able to cash out and get that equity and also be able to lay out what that equity is going to look like for you. So you have an idea of how much you're going to make on that equity when that time comes. Then there's a joint venture structure as well. And this, again, is also becoming a much, much more popular structure. So this is where the seller will retain some ownership. And so in that case, they're only selling a portion. I'll show you an example of this next as well. But they're maintaining a portion of the practice. So they're also going to be able to continue to take distributions from the hospital. And they're also going to get some cash out on the onset and ongoing operational support. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds because you're going to get a nice chunk of cash up front. And then you're also going to get the distributions from the business, you know, kind of varies on how they kind of have that mapped out and what percentage of the business that you're still maintaining. But again, this is all kind of devils in the details. You really got to make sure that you understand how it's all going to work. But I'll show you a little bit about what that's going to look like for you. So here's an example of what a joint venture Again, just just an example of what that might look like. So let's say you have a hospital with $459,242 of EBITDA. And let's say they're at a 12 times multiple. Might be a little bit on the high side, but in this market, still feasible. And let's say they sell 70% of their practice. So the cash proceeds up front that they're going to get is they're, they're going to get paid out on that percentage that they're selling. And then let's say that they're this particular client's plan is they want to be done in five years or, and it depends on when you can cash out on your joint venture as well. So when you can sell the remaining portion of your practice, some groups, you can do it whenever you want. Some, you have to wait a certain amount of time or it has to be when a liquidity event happens, kind of like the equity. So in this situation, let's say that they want to sell out in five years. So at that point, again, it's going to be based on a much higher multiple because your practice would have grown. They're part of a bigger platform, so on and so forth. So you're going to be able to get a much higher multiple at that point when you sell the remaining portion of your practice. So there's a pretty significant amount of money that you would get here versus if you did like, you know, total all out, you know, soldier hospital front versus, you know, it's like a $2 million difference. And then you also have the shareholder allocations as well. You can see here that you're able to get out each year. So you're also making money that way. Keep in mind, you're also going to be a paid employee. So you're also going to, if you're still working at the hospital, obviously. So you're going to have a salary, probably a pro-sal model, depending on the group. So all things to consider, benefits, things like that on top of all this. So it's really nice as well just the from the operational standpoint too, because you're going to have the support like a lot of practice owners just want are also just looking to grow their practice and they want more support that these corporate operating groups can offer. So it's kind of like you're still an owner, you're still getting to reap the benefits of owning this practice. But then you also have somebody that's helping you out with staffing, you know, all the the back end, all the things that you want to do, helping your hospital grow. So you're going to be able to make a lot more money in the end because you've just gotten to that next level because you have that different additional support. 
So I hope that makes sense for everybody. Obviously, if you have questions, you're welcome to contact me because I know it can get a little bit confusing. But again, that's my job to make this a lot less confusing for you when you're there. And then I'll briefly touch on this. I'm not going to dive too much into this, but this is just a real estate analysis example. So based on maybe you own the property and you're trying to evaluate, do you sell it or do you rent it out? So there's a lot of things that are kind of going to depend on this, whether it's how much debt you have on the building, things like that, the cap rates, stuff like that. It's just, we kind of get to the nitty gritty here. But again, typically the buyers aren't the ones that buy the real estate. It's usually these veterinary real estate companies. Again, someone like me should have a lot, have good relationships with these groups. I can recommend you to them as well. And they can give you, they'll be able to give you a valuation as well to give you exactly what they think that you should get for your practice. But another thing you should consider too, and I have this conversation as well, because you know they kind of snowball off of each other. But so if you're paying yourself a really high rent, that's going to hit your bottom line, right? So you might not get as much for your practice versus maybe lower your rent a little bit more and you get more for your practice. So you kind of got to figure out, okay, do I want more rent every month, a lower price for my practice, or do I want more money for my practice and a lower rent each month? So all these different things that we'll talk about if you're in this boat and it's something that you're considering. Okay. And then one of the last points I want to touch on is telling your staff, I won't spend too much time on this, but this is something that oftentimes a lot of clients want support on because telling your staff can be, is sadly one of the reasons why people, even though it's the best thing for them within their best interest to sell, they're too scared of telling their staff that they won't. I highly, highly advise you not to do this. And this is your business and you need to do what's best for you. And I promise your staff will be okay and they will understand. These groups offer a lot of really, really great things for your staff. And it's all about how you position it. So again, happy to help and support you however you need me to on this end too, because I know this can cause a lot of stress for a lot of people. And then again, I kind of mentioned this already, but I do offer consulting services. So I don't necessarily only have to sell your practice. So let's say if you want to just get a a high level overview of your numbers, kind of like what I showed you before, the financial health of your practice, I can kind of really walk you through what things you're going to need to improve upon before you take it to market, you know, different things to consider. And just from all angles, you know, whether it be maybe there's marketing things you need to do, maybe you want an associate to buy in and you don't want to sell your practice, like stuff like that, I can help with all those things. Vendor contract renew is super important. Another really important thing I always talk about is clients will also will always ask me like, should I go into a new contract with a lab company or whoever, do not sign any long-term contracts if you're getting ready to sell, especially because you don't know if this is something that, if it's a contract that a buyer will be able to assume. So your rep might tell you that they can, but it's really important to have somebody overlook that first and just make sure that they're reading the fine print because they're all structured differently. And there's some that a buyer will take over and there's some that they won't. And in that case, you'll have to pay it out out of the proceeds of your sale, which can be really significant. And you don't want to have that surprise at the end, trust me. So just different things to consider and other things that I offer in my consulting services as well. But that's pretty much it. That's all I have. I won't go into like pricing and stuff, but if anyone has any questions, you know, feel free to ask. But yeah, for the most part, I think that's all I got. And I will kind of touch on some frequently asked questions as well which I kind of already talked about these a little bit. 
But, you know, I do have some clients that mention, I already received a great, you know, a lot of people have already received what they think is a great offer for their clinic already. Do I still need an advisor? So selling your practice with just one offers means that you're most likely not getting the highest offer with the best terms. So I always recommend uh, the answer is no, never just never just take the first offer that you get. A private competitive bid ensures that you're getting the most value with the least amount of risk. So further signing an LOI is just the beginning. So it's important that you have someone that's going to help you with the entire sales process from start to finish. So again, yeah, you may have gotten an offer that seems really, really great, but you're going to want somebody on your side that's going to help you walk through that. And again, it's probably not going to be the best offer if it's the first one that you got. I will call out this one other question too. Another question that I've seen a lot is once the letter of intent is signed, you know, I'm in the clear. Like once you get that LOI signed, you can kind of just kick back and relax. You're selling your practice. People call out. Doctors don't show up. Who cares? Just no, that is please, please, please do not do that. The LOI is just the beginning of the process. And I've also seen buyers add new stipulations post LOI and a retrade, which is everything that we want to avoid. And that's something I think I pride myself on with the way I do my adjustments and the work I do up front is to avoid a retrade, which basically means they're retrading your price, right? So maybe they they originally offered you $9 million for your practice and now all of a sudden they're offering you $5 million for your practice because of your revenues declining or you lost a doctor or like during the process, like all these things can affect that. So if anything, once you sign the letter of intent, you want to be making sure that that practice is cruising. You want to make sure everybody's still on board. You're making money, revenue's growing, you're doing what you need to do. That's really the most important time to make sure that things are performing well. Again, we talked about everything already, pretty much only other questions. So, but I think that's it. Perfect. For those that want to connect with you and kind of follow up or have other questions, where would you send them? How do they best reach out to you? Yeah. So you can visit my website, which is www.transformationba.com. All my information's on there, or you can feel free to email me at Kayla at transformationba.com. Or you can text and call me. My phone number is 732-642-6321. And I'm in the Philadelphia area, but I cover the entire country. So it doesn't matter where your practice is. I'm happy to help you. But if you're local, let me know. I'd love to meet up for lunch or coffee or something. And, you know, if I can help in any way, please feel free to reach out to me. Perfect. Thank you so much for the time today. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it helps. Thanks for having me. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing 
Small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border, full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor women's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to t- find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos? Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. So type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five-doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on-call, 24-hour ER, less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95,000. Can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. If you want or need financial advice, my day job on Not Podcasting is helping veterinarians grow their net worth. Our team is taking new clients and we are ready to talk to you at any stage of life. Come as you are. I always say bring the mess, right? Like if things are unorganized, that's okay. There's no prerequisites to become a client. Isaiah Douglas is a partner at Vincier Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. The biggest compliment you can give me in the podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcast is the platform that is predominantly used for people listening to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Also, the new YouTube channel is up, and I'd love to have you subscribe. Vainly, I want 100 subscribers at least. Lots more, obviously, right? But I get a vanity URL if we get to 100. That would be great. It makes it easier to find the YouTube channel as well. For all of today's links information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. It'll be a link to that YouTube channel I just talked about. You won't miss any other episodes, whether you list on Spotify, whether you have some other ancillary podcast platform. 
please like, subscribe, all that stuff. It certainly does help. I appreciate it. Finally, if you want more information, insights, want your voice to be heard, want to share ideas for content, say, hey, Isaiah, I want you to have this guest. I want you to talk about this topic. Go over to the Facebook group. So you can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom about your host, click on the Facebook icon, and that'll get you in the group. But thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me to be able to see the podcast grow and continue to impact people. So with that, until next time, we'll chat soon. 